Hello and welcome to another episode of Yoga After Dark. Today I have my friend Mel Perrette from Canada on the line. She's, she's sitting in Edmonton, which is the capital of the province of Alberta in Canada. So um, I visited there in August and it is officially the most northest place I have ever been. Um, and, you know, as a, as a kid that grew up in Maine, uh, I find that that's impressive. And I feel like a lot of people in, in the United States of America find that that's impressive. Uh, but I'm sure Mel doesn't find it impressive at all. <laughs> so <laughs> welcome, Mel. Good to have you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, so um, the first question I have for you, actually, Mel, is, uh, is uh, basically I'm asking it for several of my students who have difficulty practicing when the weather turns cold. And you know, here in New York City, people complain about winter all the time, and I laugh at them being from New England, because I, you know, we have harder winters up there than we do here. And of course, this winter, Edmonton was actually the coldest place on earth for a couple of weeks, I believe. I think you even had to cancel cancel yoga class for we for did a for a whole week yeah just you know in case everybody's uh, car engines wouldn't start or something like that's that. correct <laughs> so um tell me about practicing in the dark and in the cold and what's that like and how how you how you deal with it well i find it really easy um because my source so early here even it's dark in the summer or winter at 5 a.m. sometimes. So it's actually doesn't matter what time <laughs> um, in regards to the darkness. If you're used to getting up super early, then uh, it's the same 365 days a year. So the darkness is kind of taken care of that way. Uh, as far as the cold goes, anyone I know who's a home practitioner has a space heater and a humidifier in their house or in their basement. And usually we get up a little bit earlier then our practice and turn it on to warm the room up first <laughs> practice. And then we go from there. Um, at our studio, we usually crank the furnace up in the winter time just to, to heat the room up. But for the most part, people's breath warms the room up if they're, we're practicing collectively. So it's, it's not so bad, actually. I think it's mental too. We like to complain about it. But as soon as you're in a building, it's the same temperature anywhere else. <laughs> this takes a little bit longer to warm up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes an extra. I know I had a teacher before who taught still um, five sun salutation bees. And uh, when it's really cold outside, I'll go back to the, the five or six sun bees just to warm up a little bit more. And then usually it's five instead of the three that we do now. See, I learned with five uh, Surya Namaskara bee. Mm. That's how I learned. And I, and I didn't reduce it down to three until I was like doing half of third series. Um, and I believe, yeah, the first, the first two trips I made to Mysore, I recall us doing in lead class, um, five Surya Namaskara B and sometimes three and then five, uh, just, I guess, depending on, um, Maybe the temperature. <laughs> or the temperature, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, and then, you know, maybe by my third trip, it had really codified to three Surya Namaskara B, and that's, that's what we do now. But it, okay. it, was it was definitely not always 
that way. Um, That's what I've heard from quite a few people. So I just, I gauge it to how my body's feeling temperature wise usually. So in the winter, it's usually up and then it's fine again. That sounds good. Why, yeah. why, is, why is your Mysore offered so early up there in Edmonton? Do people just work a lot earlier? Yeah, well, most people that come to us typically start work at seven, between 7.30 and 8.30 anyway. And because I lease from an existing yoga studio, there was no spots in the evening anyway. And there was zero classes in the morning. So it just made sense for me to keep the tradition of super early morning practice. And I grew up on a farm and always woke up early. So it just made sense to me to, to do it at 5 a.m. or 5.30 a.m. It's nice to get it over with in the morning. Yeah, um, it is nice to get it over with in the morning and then have yeah. the whole long stretch of your day waiting for you with possibly exactly. the tease of a nap or something like that. You know. Yeah, and I don't think you have the potential to set yourself up for failure if you're thinking about a pose all day, if you have that kind of stress normally in your body. If you have to go to work and like, fuck, I have capitacina later. <laughs> Whereas if you just get up and do it, the thought patterns haven't happened yet. So I think it's pretty effective to get it done. Yeah, the mind is much cleaner at, mm. at, at an earlier time, definitely. And, and, you know, sometimes the asanas just sneak up on you. You're like, oh, oh, I'm here now. Oh, I had, okay. <laughs> guess I'll be putting my leg there. Oh dear. <laughs> you, know, you, just, you just can't prepare or worry about anything. It just, it comes on too quick, right? <laughs> I think so too. There's still a little bit of fogginess. And so I, I think that's actually effective to help you. Let, let you live in, the chatter. live in the present moment. Because, exactly. Because you just can't get beyond the present moment at that hour. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> well, tell me about, tell me about growing up on a farm and how did how did a prairie farm girl then move to the city and become a, a yoga lady oh well um i loved the farm life it was great uh, i think it taught me pretty good work ethics we had to do our chores and everything before we went to school but um i was always curious about travel and and i actually really enjoyed history so what happened is after I finished high school, I delved into archaeology and started traveling and I got my degree in classical archaeology and worked in Italy for a little while. And from there, it just um, encouraged me to travel even more and learn a lot more about world history and world cultures. But it also put me in severe student loan debt. <laughs> so I ended up going to South Korea to pay off my student loans. And that's where I started practicing yoga because I had nothing else to do um, outside of my work. And uh, it was just Hatha, it was an Ashtanga at the time, but the teacher I had was really quite strict. He was an Iyengar teacher as well. And I really liked the structure behind it. And he's the one who sort of introduced me into different styles of yoga and having more structure and calmness in your life. And I practiced with him for about four years. And my last day before I left Korea, he's like, he told us as a class, like there's a style called Ashtanga, we're gonna do it today, just to try something different. And I'm like, okay, and I could not do anything. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, damn it, I'm leaving this country. So I left the next day, I had to come back to Canada. But I was curious about Ashtanga from there. And then I was back in Canada for about a year before I found someone who was teaching it in Edmonton. And then I started practicing it about once a week 
for a whole year because I was I was not very strong and so uh, it took a long time for me to just do chaturanga without my knees so once a week was enough mm -hmm. for me to start building strength and then from there I started building the consistency and uh, here I am now <laughs> Good for you. I was about so that I think I was introduced to it about 10 years ago and it's been about seven years now doing it every day oh great Hmm. Hmm. You know, uh, you you say your your teacher in South Korea was particularly strict. Well, I I have a uh, several very good Korean friends, and I I've been to South Korea twice. Uh, yeah. Um, teach, and uh, and I would say that in general the whole country is is quite strict <laughs> when it comes to. <laughs> yoga and, and, and things of that nature. That's there was a, a bamboo stick that was in the class and sometimes it was used if your knee wasn't bent enough and you're oh. a bee or you're oh. cheating, you know, grabbing your legs in Navasana, you'd often get a whack. Oh, that's some good like old style Iyengar, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I appreciated it because I, <laughs> it's kind and of I, I used to get little whacks by my teachers all the time when I was in my early 20s and I, I <laughs> I honestly think they're some of the best learning experiences I have. They, they made sense to me, you know, and there was never, I never felt any malice or anything about it. It was just like, you know, it was just a, a quick pay attention. And I, yeah, I it was pay attention I, for I, sure. I really appreciated it. Well, he would often say after he'd give you like, not a hard beating, but like the little <laughs> laugh, he'd say mental block. Yeah. It was like trying to overcome self-doubt more than anything. And so it was very helpful. Right. And that's one thing I still feel like helps me as a teacher approach practice is like get over your self-doubt for, for anyone. I but mean, I don't hit but I don't hit people. Oh good, good. I'm glad you don't hit people. That's it. <laughs> um <laughs> I I remember being being in South Korea and uh sitting sitting with my friend who is a who is an ashtanga teacher there and we were having um we were having beers together which uh which you and i know about you and i have had yeah. many beers together and uh, <laughs> two of her two of her students showed up to to meet me and uh i asked them it was two two younger ladies and i asked them if they what they wanted uh to drink and you know, and you know, South Korea has a, a real serious drinking ethos. You know, not unlike Edmonton, Canada, uh, from my experience, anyway. But so I asked them what they wanted to drink, and they just both kind of like shook their heads, no, that they didn't want anything. And I was like, well, what do you want? Like, we're chilling out. It's it's okay. What's going on? And they said, oh no, like we don't want to drink in front of our teacher. <laughs> and I, I actually pulled rank. I said, not that there's really anything, like, not that there's really any rank in the Ashtanga world, but I said, listen, I'm authorized level two and your, author your teacher's authorized level one, and I say you can drink, so what do you, what do you wanna, wanna order? And then they both got a height, I think. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, we, then we all calmed down. <laughs> <laughs> When I was when I was up in Edmonton uh, with you and, and visiting visiting another friend I have there, we did uh, we put on a lead class, and we ended up raising a good sum of money for a uh, for the puppies and the kitties at a at an animal shelter, 
And I know that this is not, uh, that is not an unusual thing for you to do. You, you seem to do quite a lot of that. Um, and you do, you do a lot of what I would call like extracurricular yoga stuff. Like I know you do a, you, uh, you'll do a practice on the bowling lanes um, at the, wh what do you have there? You have five pin bowling or something? What, what is, yes. <laughs> five pin. Five pin, five pin bowling. It's, it's very strange. We don't have that here. Or, <laughs> or at least I certainly have never experienced it here. It's own special Canada bowling. Um, so, <laughs> which, was, which was great. I really enjoyed myself. But so would you tell me about the, the fun extracurricular yoga things you do and why you do them? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we, part of the funds I get from people who pay for Mysore um, for their memberships goes towards um, an animal rescue. There's a farm just outside of Edmonton that rescues, it started with potbelly pigs, but now it's um, basically any animal on planet they have out there. And so we sponsor a cat and a dog out there. So part of the money goes towards their food and their vet bills every month. And then another part of the money that we have goes to two girls in Nepal. Uh, I had traveled there in 2012 and met this lovely family when I was trekking who didn't really have anything. There's, they don't have free education in Nepal. And I fell in love with this family. So my girlfriend and I at the time who I was there with sponsored this family to move to Kathmandu and the girls to go to school because they were quite young. And then life changed. My friend couldn't help pay anymore. So then a lot of the other funds that I get from my student school towards helping these two girls go to school uh, in Kathmandu. And they seem to be doing well and it's helping out the family. So that's what we do. And then um, the yoga in the bowling lanes. I'm a big fan of five pin bowling. You <laughs> should maybe try it one time. And uh, beer. So there's a... There's a um, a bowling lane here that has lots of craft beers from our area and it's a really great place and he asked one time if I'd be interested in teaching a yoga class on the lanes. So I do that maybe three four times a year so it doesn't get uh, too watered down and we do ashtanga sometimes sometimes just like a fun vinyasa or whatever and we use those funds for either the girls in Nepal if I have a surplus we pick a different charity like once we did something for Boyle Street which is a homeless shelter here. We raise money for them or we raise, um, we just had donations for clothes to help give to them. I just try to pick something that um, is gonna go towards someone who needs it. So I think it's part of our jobs as teachers to try and do what we can to help the less fortunate, whatever your definition of less fortunate is. So yeah, but you have to have fun with it too, I think. It's important to be jovial in life. So I try to do fun stuff. Good. <laughs> agree with you I think it's it's so important we're you know we're living in this yoga world and we're doing this practice ostensibly for for ourselves you know to keep our own sanity to keep our own health and wellness um, but then you know the, the whole point of us keeping ourselves well is so that we can help make others well or help aid others in, in their own journey if we lose that we, we really lose the connection to, to that kind of internal transformation that, that yoga provides. Um, Absolutely. And I also think if we don't have fun with it, 
that we also lose that connection to that internal trans transformation as well. 100%. It can become a, like an attachment that becomes an obsession then, right? You have to have a lightheartedness behind it too and, and apply that to the other 22 hours of the day instead of just that one or two hours on your mat. Yes, and I, and I really enjoy that. I enjoy that about my time in Edmonton and also I enjoy just watching your, you know, your posts on Instagram and, and stuff like that. You, it seems like you and your practicing community are always having a good deal of, of fun with this. And it, it, you know, and coming, you know, part of it is a, is a New York City problem, I'm sure, because New York City people are intense and we love being intense and that's what we do. Uh, but I, I do think we err a little bit on the side of uh, obsession and, and uh, too much seriousness on occasion. And I've definitely seen this in other places in the world as well, but, but not with you guys. You, you guys just, uh, you have a good time. <laughs> I, I Hopefully the Ashtanga police don't hear, but sometimes there's chatting and laughter in the Mysa room too. But I, I'm a very... I'm not a serious competitive person and I have fun with Ashtanga. Like I love it. I'm not attached to, to anything in particular. And I feel sorry for like people who are type A practicing or they beat themselves up, must do it. So I try to keep it light for them or make them laugh or whatever. Like, I don't care if you grab your heels today in Kapitasana or put your leg behind your head today. Like be kind to yourself. And that's what I find really important in practice. So yeah. that's where I students get it from. Yeah, being kind to yourself is, is deeply necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and at the same time, I think though, balancing that out with a forward moving vector, you know, being kind mm -hmm. to yourself does not mean that you just allow yourself to do whatever, whenever. You yes. still got to be yeah. a fan. <laughs> That's called lazy. That's <laughs> yeah. Being kind to yourself and being lazy are different things. <laughs> so there, there, I mean, there's no way. So here I am in New York. And when I was, when I was, uh, you know, a student of people here in New York, um, I, New York has this glut of teachers, including, including Ashtanga teachers. We have many lovely qualified Ashtanga teachers in this city. Um, and when I was learning, I think we may have even had more, honestly. Uh, and so it was never a problem for me to find a teacher, never a problem for me to have a, a group to practice with, which must be different where you are. I mean, there's certainly there are a couple famous teachers up in Calgary, but that's a good three hours away. Um, and you're kind of in the middle of um, nowhere, you know, yep. it's a little bit in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's very beautiful nowhere, um, <laughs> but it is a little middle of nowhere. So how how does one how does one deal with that when there's not a huge uh, Ashtanga practicing group present to to support you in your in your endeavors? Yeah, like um, I I know what you're saying. I'm very motivated to practice on my own. Like I'm fine with um, solo practice at home, but um. As far as like trying to keep community, I try to hold it together here. But what I have to do to be inspired is I'm usually inspired by my students. And you know, when they push themselves, 
I focus on pushing myself more. And so it's, it's just a um, reciprocated friendship that we've developed. And, and I think people see that and they want it. And that's how the community has kind of grown is that we help each other. And uh, yeah, I think that's the only thing that really helps is just I know our personalities. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. There, there is, um, yeah, authorized teacher in Calgary, but I met him only the first time, maybe a couple of years ago, and I'd already met David Robson, twenty twelve, and so I try to go to Toronto once a year to practice. Oh, further away. Right? Oh yeah, Toronto's super far. It's a, about a five day drive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I flew through Toronto to get to you. <laughs> Um, I have some old students who've moved to Toronto, so I try to go there once a year, just fly there so I can see the students and I can go practice just in my Stormbia student for five, six days or whatever it is. And then come back refreshed and, and share some more knowledge. But yeah, I only get to go once a year. I'm supposed to be in India right now helping David in Purple Valley, <laughs> assisting, but uh, that obviously didn't happen. Right. Yeah, yeah we're, we're on the lockdown. Yeah. I, I really love what you said about that you get the inspiration from your students because I find that that's what I, I'm, I really am inspired by my students and they give me a great deal of energy. And mm -hmm. I think now that, you know, we're all on the, the coronavirus quarantine, um, I'm finding even more more palpable how important the relationship is from them to me like what they give to me like they're really supporting me at this part, part point in a very energetic way knowing yeah. they're out there knowing that they're doing things that they come on to my little zoom meetings and you know practice with me or listen to me talk about whatever thing i'm talking about it's it it's so so helpful yeah, what I find interesting here actually is there's more people showing up daily now that we're online than when we were in the physical studio because I run my store online. I think part of it is we don't have to drive across the city somewhere so you get to sleep in a little bit more and roll out. But I think people need it for their mental health so they're more willing to make sure they, they show up all the time. Plus I'm always texting people. That's so time. <laughs> <laughs> so you're so you're a pusher. You're a yoga person. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, you know, I'm seeing I get like the same kind of people for the, for the Mysore in the morning. And you know, I'm just, I'm basically just practicing with my students in the morning. So it's really like an hour and a half to two hour shindig where normally I, I teach for four or five hours. So mm. people's schedules are all out of whack. So it's hard to get them all in there but i'm definitely seeing an uptick in numbers for the lead classes that i'm offering you know people really want to get that that group energy even if it's through a screen and and, and go through that that primary series once or twice a week that's what i actually find great about this is now i can take your lead class if i want to when i can right whereas there's no possible way you know i'm discovering new teachers i have a student now in moved to Quebec um, last year who's rejoined Mysore and led because she can and you know I it's you can get sad about this quarantine but you can, there's also a lot of positive coming out of it and I'm learning from new people and, and, and I hope that others are doing that too. There is a 
silver lining, you know, yeah. definitely, uh, there are great positives coming out of this whole thing. And hopefully we'll be able to hold on to them and keep, keep them with us as, you know, as we, as we get out of this, because we will get out of this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. <laughs> you better, or I'm going to be an alcoholic soon. Oh, there you go. Yeah. No, if, if, you know, if New York doesn't get out of it, but you do, I'm moving to Edmonton. So look out. Sure. <laughs> you can be a basement troll too with me. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I'm totally willing to do that. <laughs> so, um, so I usually wrap this, uh, this up with, with four questions. I've been asking all my interviewees four questions. Um, and I just kind of, we go through them. You don't need to think about them very much. Just, you know, say what's ever on the top of your head. Uh, the first one is super easy. Do you have anything you want to ask me? Um, I really love your sofa. How old is it? <laughs> gorgeous. I know you guys can't see it, but it's totally right out of the 70s. The sofa is not old at all. Damn it! <laughs> so the sofa is from World Market, which I don't, I don't know if they serve you or not, but uh, you, can, you can just order it. Uh, I ordered it online. We do have a, a World Market <laughs> store here in New York, but I just ordered this online. And I got it specifically because I was um, redoing my my the downstairs of my apartment and this this room that I'm sitting in is my my yoga office and I thought I should get a sofa um you know to sit on and initially I was thinking oh I should get like a nice comfy one in case people want to stay the night I have guests whatever and then I thought to myself now wait a minute I live in New York City and I I uh you know enjoy my time in my apartment by myself so why would i want something that's comfy enough for someone to actually sleep over i should get something that's uncomfortable so that i'm alert while i'm working um <laughs> no one can sleep over and so that's why i got this particular sofa <laughs> okay got it <laughs> so so se second question um what uh what do you think is the best thing about how we are currently practicing yoga around the world? Um, kind of like what I had said before, like, um, you know, I would never have had the chance and I still haven't been to New York, but to, to talk to you or, or take your lead class, or maybe I can take Petri's class in Finland because he's offering it online. Like there's, so many people I've watched online that have inspired me, but you know, I'll probably never ever get to go there. And now I have that opportunity to learn from all these people that have kind of interested me over the last few years. So I think there's a little, uh, I think it's great. Cool. Hmm. Now tell me, what do you think is most lacking about how our society is currently practicing yoga? Mm, a lot of what you said earlier before we started recording is not hearing people breathing. Um, it, you know, that's the energy and the life of our practice. And, you know, if someone puts their phone or computer to them, it's like Darth Vader, and then it's echoey, so you can't hear it. <laughs> and if the computer's too far away, you don't hear anything, you just see them move. So you can help people by telling them what they should or shouldn't be doing, but I don't know if they're breathing or not. And if they're in comfort or pain, you know, they have to vocalize it, but it is what it is. Yeah. 
And I would take that even farther because obviously right now you're talking about since we're we're all at home and we're teaching through screens, you, you know, mm. microphones just won't pick up the sound of the ujjayi breath. But mm. even when you're, you know, when we're teaching in person, when you have people who, who either haven't uh, developed the ability to make sound while they breathe yet, or they're just shy, or they're, they just refuse to, whatever the case may be, it it makes it uh it changes everything you know if you can't hear yeah. that breath it changes everything yeah it's true you know when you walk into a room of of mysore even bed you can just like you feel it pulsating with breathing and that's it's just completely out of the equation right now and it's it's kind of sad but you know we're at a point where we do the best we can for the time being i i miss walking you know, fingers crossed yeah. <laughs> I'm just walking into the Mysore room and, and the room itself feels alive. Yeah. My, my teacher uh, always described it as the sound of a bonfire roaring. This jai mm. breath in the, in the Mysore room, which I think is quite apt. Yeah, absolutely. So final question. Um, what do you think the yoga scape is going to look like in... 10, 20, or 30 years? Hmm. In all honesty, I think it's going to look like this. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't mean this to be like downtrodden at all, but I think that viruses like this might become more common hmm. because of the changing world. And if lack of touch and, and staying home helps to stop the spread of these things, it's going to be more um, online, I think. Sadly. Oh, that gives me that gives me some things to think about. <laughs> you know, like I, I I it depends how long this lasts, right? Or, or what yeah. the outcome is. Who knows? Yeah, we're we're kind of out there. Peering into the dark right now. And Absolutely. Trying to see the light. So yeah. And so I think it's good to focus on whatever positive is coming out of this and just keep that in your, your heart and not worry about things that used to be that way and, and want that again. Because, you know, now you get to see people's pets jumping on them. <laughs> now you see kids running around and trying to watch that parent focus on their practice. So it's cute. Yeah. So there's, there's interesting, good things out of it too. Cool. Yeah, so let's keep it positive. Let's let's absolutely wonderful. Okay, thank you so much, Mel. This was great. So good to talk to you. So good to talk to you. And hopefully, hopefully, maybe I can come see you soon, or you can come here soon. You know, we'll see. We'll see what transpires. You can come see the bison again. Oh, the bison! I love the bison. And step in some more bison poop. Yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Michael. Take care.